This is an ABC podcast. It was the first day of school and I was standing under the fan and all of a sudden I felt very sick. I had fever um, and I recuperated within a week. But after I got better, I realized that I was breathing really fast. Like I was going like this, like this a lot. And my parents got really worried. They took me to the doctor and he asked me, he said, are you feeling worried about something? Is there anything, you know, you're really stressed out about? And I said, yes. I said, I feel like because I haven't been to school for a whole week, I'm not going to get a grade at the end of the year. But he said to me, he said, but that's 11 months away. Why are you worried about it now? And so that's my first experience of uh, having an anxiety attack. Shazia Usman was a teenager in Fiji when she first realized she had anxiety. The condition is just one of many mental health issues experienced by women in the Pacific. What I find incredible is that despite the large number of us who have mental health issues, it's a difficult topic for us to talk about. There's so much stigma attached to it, which means it's often hidden, and women can feel like it's something to be ashamed about. And when we are brave and try to seek out help, where do we go for that, given mental health services catering for women are limited in the Pacific? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about our mental health. I want to ask you a personal question. How's your mental health? If you answered, actually, Hilda, I'm feeling stressed. Or Hilda, I'm feeling anxious. Then please know that you're not alone. Did you answer, I actually feel depressed, Hilda? Well, guess what? You're not alone either. It's hard to find an exact figure on the number of women in the Pacific who have mental health issues, but some research shows around 26% of us have a mental health disorder and that up to 6% of us have a serious mental health issues. We also know that women more than men have anxiety disorders, depression, and eating disorders. And it has a huge impact on our lives. Like anxiety has said on Shazia Usman. Uni was fine and high school was fine because I could control the elements for the longest time. As long as I studied, I went and I was fine. But when I entered the workforce, I started working with teams, right? As we all do. And I realized that a lot of the times things were out of my control. And when things are out of my control, I, I don't think I can do my best. And so I started noticing that I started getting more and more um, uh, anxiety attacks, even to the point of panic attacks. And, you know, I would be just counting down the hours. Like if I left uh, after work, I'd be counting down the hours till I'd be back at work again. And I would be like stressing out about my deadlines and because I had this need to be, um, to do well, you know, like to do well in my projects, to be like the best sometimes, you know. And yeah, so it really, really greatly affected my life because I was just sort of walking around with this dread that I'm not performing all the time. A couple of years ago, Shazia got a new job, which was high pressure with tight deadlines and a lot of stress. Straight away, she could feel anxiety rising to the surface. So what would happen? Um, Hilda is that I would wake up in the morning and I would feel really low. Like I, you know how when you feel 
not sad, but you just feel low. Like you don't want to get out of bed. It was just like, will I do good today? Will I do well today? And when you're somebody who lives in anxiety, I don't, I, I am not depressed. I don't live with depression, but these are sort of like, you're on your way to that. Like you just feel it. And I noticed that during the morning, like I would feel really low and I didn't want to get out of bed, but during the day I would feel um, better and feel like actually quite um, high. And so there was a little bit of up and down in my moods and I noticed it for a whole month. And so when I spoke to my counselor, she said, Hey Shazia, have you ever been checked out by an actual medical doctor? Not just a counselor, a doctor. And I said, no, like when I was younger, maybe, but not like, so she said to me, there's this really good doctor. She's a, a, a general practitioner, but her, but her qualification is also in mental health. Why don't we go in, um, have a conversation with her because you know, there's d- different kinds of, um, other things that might be causing mental health issues. Like, I'm going to be very honest with you, Hilta. Like, you know how there's a lot of stigma around taking mental health medication? Mm. I had done my research on it. So it was really important to me that I didn't take a medication. I said, I don't want something that would be addictive. So she explained to me the different kinds of medications. So she said, um, what I can offer you is something that is called a mood stabilizer. So basically, um, if you take it in the next four weeks, your mood um, starts becoming almost average. You know, like you wake up, you feel how you feel. Like you don't feel low, you don't feel high, you just feel, um, I don't hate using the word normal, but that's the word she used, right? And so we adjusted my medication once. And like I went back to her, I think after two months, she wanted to see me. And since then, I'm on a certain treatment. And uh, it's been a year and a half, Hilda. And I was talking with my counselor not too long ago. My life has completely changed. Like I actually don't have anxiety anymore. Like I would have the normal anxiety that one has before giving a presentation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'd be like a little nervous, but I don't have that debilitating anxiety that I used to have before. And it is because I'm on this very good treatment plan where I have proper counseling, proper medication, and, uh, you know, like a proper plan. Because a lot of people believe that, you know, you eat well, you exercise and you do counseling and that's it. But that's not it. Like it is okay for some people, but everybody is different. Right. Mm -hmm. And after that, I started talking to a lot of people about the stigma involved with using medication, et cetera. Um, And a lot of people said to me, don't tell people that you use medication. Don't because, you know, like people will think you're this and that, and you won't get a job, et cetera, et cetera. But I said to them, I said, well, that's the truth. And this is my life. And uh, my, my doctor said to me that, she said 90% of the people that come to her require some sort of treatment. Like she said, bigger CEOs come to her and they need, they need it. She said, if you go to, if you have a heart problem, right. And you go to a doctor and a doctor puts you on a treatment plan, right. Which might include changing your diet, exercising, but also like something to do with medication, right. If you go to a liver specialist. So she said, why is there so much stigma around mental health? How did art therapy uh, help to treat your anxiety? So um, this one particular counselor that I go to, um, every time I go to her, she'll ask me how I'm feeling. And sometimes I, I use words to explain it. And sometimes she says to me, do you want to draw it for me? And I love visuals and I love art. So I would draw it for her. And then she would ask me to explain what this means to her. So that's a, that's a really um, good way, I think, to like uh, use art therapy. And also um, journaling is really important. Like I noticed that um, when you write down things, you tend to notice patterns about your um, thinking, right? Your, uh, your, what you're thinking about your behavior. So 
art in that way has helped. And also like a um, couple of years ago, I used to create art, a feminist art. And I noticed that um, when I'm concentrating on one task using my hand, I devote hours and hours to it. And that really helps to calm me. I don't do that as much um, anymore, but um, that you, what mindfulness, right, is really important when you're somebody who lives with anxiety. So mm. being and being in that moment is uh, really important. And I know a lot of my friends do like um, embroidery, they do weaving. That's really great to hear because people like, I'm from Papua New Guinea and people just don't want to talk about mental health and they think it's not a problem. Yeah, in Fiji, like, uh, it's really amazing to see there's a lot of good work done around mental health advocacy, especially by younger people, Mm -hmm. um, because it's a lot of uh, suicide um, um, by younger people in Fiji. Like, I can't tell you the exact rates, but it is quite high. Um, And for many different reasons, you know, you have young people who, you know, are not doing well in school and parents don't understand or like relationship problems. People are being bullied left, right and center. People live in isolation. So good mental health is something that should be taught in schools, in my opinion. If you have a mind, you need to take care of your mind, right? I couldn't agree more with Shazia Usman. Everyone deserves to have good mental health and access to the type of care Shazia was able to get in Fiji. Because while it's obviously best for us as individuals, if we have good mental health, then that's good for the whole community. My view is that if we have a mentally healthy country and population, we actually will contribute to the development of this nation in a bigger way. That's Dr. Monica Hagali the Chief Psychiatrist of the National Department of Health in Papua New Guinea. Dr. Hagali has worked in mental health and psychiatry in PNG for 18 years. She treats severe mental illnesses, including psychosis, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder, and says that many women in PNG develop depression after experiencing violence or loss. She says, sadly, Shazia's story of getting treatment for her anxiety is not the norm in the Pacific or in PNG. She says for many women, the lack of information about mental illnesses and the treatments available and the stigma of having a mental health problem is stopping women from being able to access the care they need. We still do have the lack of knowledge. You know, women with these ones can actually like access our service to get help. So this one is actually, you know, lacking. In the urban areas, you know, people actually know where to get these services. But stigma is one of the uh, important barriers to uh, women getting access to help. If we also look at violence, the nature in which it's occurs is also very important because sometimes violence against women, it actually occurs in polygamous relationships. But there is also the psychological and emotional abuse that can go along with it. So it's of this uh, complex situation. Stigma actually prolongs the duration of time when somebody can come and seek help. No one really wants to be known as somebody who suffers from a mental illness. But maybe one of the things we should do to reduce stigma is think about things more in a positive way. For example, instead of saying psychiatric ward, how about if we can change it the 
other way. Healthy Mind Ward or Healthy Mind Clinic or Mental Wellbeing Clinic. All these things. It's also the wording that we use also. What treatments are available in Papua New Guinea for women with mental health conditions? We actually do have the medications available to treat these conditions with. Apart from that, also our team does uh, offer counseling services to for those ones who are suffering from the mental illnesses as such. Dr. Hagali, you've been in this uh, profession for so long. What are some yes. professional challenges that you face or have faced in providing appropriate care for patients? We actually lack human resources, all right. You know, at the moment, when we are dealing with mental health issues, we actually should have multidisciplinary teams. We lack psychiatrists, and then we need more mental health nurses. So at the moment, we actually only these two professionals. We do have some uh, psychologists who are based at the Laloki Public Psychiatric Hospital. But apart from that, we need clinical psychologists, we need occupational therapists and other allied health professionals. I know like in some uh, non-governmental organizations like the churches, they are working very hard in terms of drug abuse and so forth. And they are actually doing good job by rehabilitating the affected individuals. Uh, I just finish off by asking you what sort of symptoms or signs can they pick up from the family members who possibly could be suffering from mental health? The things to pick up is a change in the behavior of this person. Those are the first signs. Having sleep problem is one of those things. And then sometimes some people say, now I'm really feeling lazy now. And then also loss of enjoyment in things that you enjoyed before, feeling hopeless, worthless, Having a bit of fear, nervous and anxious symptoms of uh, severe mental illness. People might start to hear voices. People also think that others are plotting to harm them in some way. Also, some might think that they have some special gifts or power. Some might feel that they have got a lot of energy. And those ones who feel that they have got lots of energy, like in rural areas, what normally happens is that they actually walk long distances. Some also lose appetite. Now, these are just some of the symptoms and signs. But usually sleep is the one that goes off first. Dr. Monica Hagali, Chief Psychiatrist at the National Department of Health in Papua New Guinea. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. I'd like to introduce you to Barbara Angoro. Some of the challenges in seeking care that Dr. Agali mentioned, well, she's experienced that firsthand in PNG. Barbara has had anxiety and depression, which she writes about in her blog. And she says it's that lack of information and stigma that were a barrier to her getting the help she needed. I personally didn't know where to tend to for professional help. I do know that in terms of mental health, you know, like at the wards, you've got uh, people who are diagnosed with psychosis and then they're on treatment and they're kept at the ward. But I 
up to this day, I really don't know if there's help available for things like depression and anxiety. I suppose I may, I could have gone to the hospital to ask Carol at that time, but it was more trying to deal with it on my own and just my family. Maybe part of me felt like, you know, it's a small place and many I, I would know many people. So I think at the back of my mind, maybe stigma or the shame that could have prevented me from actively trying to go and ask around and see if there was any of that service available. Looking back, Barbara now understands that source of her depression and anxiety was centered on the breakdown of her marriage. It was coming to an end and I definitely know that that big change caused me to like suffer depression and anxiety. And how did you behave at the time that you were going through this? It's not like one day you wake up and then you realize that, oh, you know, this is depression. Like it's been happening gradually. And then it came to a point that I realized that this is not me. This is not normal me. So I'm a very outgoing person. I'm there for my family, my friends. And I have a really strong bond with my daughter. All my life, you know, activities outside of work all center around my family and my daughter. But at that time when I was going through depression, one of the things that kind of really stood out for me looking back now is that I just cut everyone out of my life. And when I say everyone, I mean my family and my friends and especially my beloved daughter. So at work, I was functioning like 110%. No one at work knew that something was wrong with me. Um, it was when I went home that I would just go and lock myself in in the room. And how did your family help you get through? You know, I have to say I'm really blessed because I have family support. Depression and anxiety is not a good, it's one of those things where it's not a physical illness where, you know, people can kind of see and, and sympathize. But I'm so glad that my family were able to recognize that I was not okay. One of the things that they did was they made sure that they try to engage me in everything, like family activities. They would pull, literally getting me involved, trying to get me involved in everything that was happening, you know, in the family outside of my room. So I'm like forever grateful for my sisters because they would have called me out and just talk to me to ask me how I'm feeling and just let me talk and provide positive space. They did not talk about the divorce has happened, the other party has moved on. They did not dwell on those negatives. They were all about positivity. So they're trying to get me to look past what was happening and just just have normal conversations and try to engage me. So I, I'm really thankful for that family support. That's lovely. Not many sort of identify that this is a big problem and it's like a taboo to talk about mental health because it's seen as a sign of weakness probably in you know our Melanesian PNG community. Um, it's so brave of you to come out and you know openly talk about this. Uh, what kind of response have you had to your blog where you have shared your mental health story? You are absolutely correct when you talk about depression and anxiety like seen as a taboo not only that but talking about divorce in our society it's almost like you're a failure the more better I became I felt that there was something that I should talk about and share because 
it's part of the journey. And also I felt that many people may be in the same boat as I, I was. When I shared about my experiences, I was quite surprised that many people that I knew and I thought had everything under control would actually send me messages and not tell me that, thank you for sharing. Like we identify or we know people who um, have gone through similar, who are who exhibit the same signs that you are talking about. So we will try and be there for them. From what you've experienced and you've gone through yourself, um, what are some words of advice that you would give to the family members or friends? And what are some of the things they should and should not say when somebody's at their breaking point? Just be there for them. If someone is telling you they're not feeling well, don't try to dismiss how they're feeling. Because remember, it's, it's, it's going to take a lot of courage for someone to open up to you. And maybe they, they feel like they might be judged if they open up to you. So don't say things like, oh, you'll get over it. Or, you know, you look so normal, like I didn't even know you're depressed. Maybe you mean well, but then from the person who's receiving it, it might do more harm. Get them engaged in activities that you know that they would have liked before. For me, it was we'd have a lot of cookouts so my sisters would come my brothers and we'd that just cook and take me out of the room so we did a lot of cooking and eating together just like the normal family Barbara Angro is sharing a personal story through her blog Duress's Odyssey to help remove the stigma around mental health in Papua New Guinea This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne One of the things we know is that COVID-19 has, for many people, been really bad for their mental health. But one interesting thing that Selena Kuruleva is seeing in Fiji is that it is prompting women to speak more openly about their physical and mental health. Selena is a psychotherapist and consultant to the World Health Organization in Fiji. And she says if you do have a mental health condition, there is a very high chance it will be treatable. At least 95% of uh, mental health conditions are treatable because obviously there is medication and uh, talk therapy and play therapy. So there's a whole uh, range of things that we can do to help us uh, when we're having a, a mental health issue. Eh? What are the most common mental health conditions you see amongst women in Fiji? So when we're talking about mental health issues would be uh, depression, number one. Second would be uh, uh, stress or anxiety, frustration associated with the, with the relationships or, or the people that they live with. A third one that I've seen a lot of mental health issues around is um, economic hardship or difficulty. Because again, um, many women are the, the primary carers in their family. I've also seen... Quite uh, a number of women presenting because they're single parents. That whole stress around looking after their children, but they are living with the extended family. And how do you look after everyone, including your own children, when there is limited, if any, um, sources of income? How much of a taboo is it in the Pacific when it comes to women discussing their mental health issues? When I first came returned to Fiji, it was unheard of, practically. It was all very hush-hush. Now people are seeking behaviors have changed somewhat. If it's taboo for women, I, I guess it, it really depends on where you're at. Eh? In the rural areas, if a woman has just given birth, you know how we talk about postpartum depression, it is more likely 
in the rural area that it would not be uh, categorized thought of as postpartum depression, but more supernatural. In urban areas, when we talk about um, if it's taboo for women to uh, seek or discuss um, mental health issues, somewhat, but not as much as, say, 10, 15 years ago. Eh? Research shows that being in a collective culture forms some kind of protection to uh, anxiety and depression. In your experience, what have you found? Yes, uh, definitely. The, the the bigger the community, the tighter the community, the um, uh, extended communities we have is a protective factor. However, the very nature of this COVID-19 has meant that we are no longer in the tight meat. In Fiji, we call it sole sole vaki, eh? you know, where we're all out there to help each other. In the urban areas, uh, many of us have access to the internet, uh, phones, uh, social media. So there's that degree of virtual um, kinships continuing. In the rural areas, more or less things have continued in the way of pre-COVID ways. We're very big on gathering like every other Pacific Island country, I guess. But because of the nature of the physical distancing, you know, you don't go out unless you're going out for essentials. So that usual community kinship uh, has more or less disappeared. Um, so, yes, it is a protective factor. But in this time of COVID, that protective factor has turned into a different form of protective factor in, in, in the way that we now have to use virtual means to stay connected to our kinship. And Selena, with somebody who may have mental health issues, what are some mm. simple things that they can do at home or in the community to get help to try to address this issue? Uh, you can go to the main hospitals and there are stress wards uh, for those who are unable to get out and get the messages. Always advocating for talk to your family members, talk to a, a supportive adult that uh, may be able to assist you, talk your faith-based leader, talk to your community leader, your women's leader, um, because, you know, Fiji, uh, a lot of our communities have these structures firmly still in place, which can be used. Uh, in the villages, we uh, say the Turangani Koro, if it's a case of life and death, if it's a suicide attempt or self-harm, the Turangani Koro, then get in touch with the police, with the health workers. So all these uh, structures are in place and people have been pretty good in using them when they know that they need it. But still, like I said earlier on, a lot of help-seeking behaviors still need to change if we're going to get through this. A psychotherapist, Selena Kuruleva in Suva, Fiji. I asked you at the beginning of the show how your mental health was. What I hope is that if you said, you know, it's not great, that out of today's show, you know that you're not alone and also that you can seek help, and that there are mental health services you can access in your country that will help. The WHO has a few tips I'd like to share with you. Talk to a friend or family member, maybe someone from your church. The phone is probably best at the moment. As Selena said, our Pacific culture is one where we're part of a community, and we can lean on that community when we need it. Look after your body, get enough rest, Eat a healthy diet, be physically active, and try to limit your alcohol. Do an activity you enjoy or get a sense of achievement from each day. If stress is stopping you from carrying out your normal activities for more than two weeks or you have thoughts of hurting yourselves or others, seek support from a counselor or mental health professional. 
I'm really grateful to my guests who shared their stories and insights today. Because the more we talk about this, the more we can challenge the stigma and discrimination around mental illness. And the better we will be for our mental well-being. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, our weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we come together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, we're also a podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, why women are promoting traditional cooking across the Pacific. If we are not actively protecting, looking after, actively eating and keeping these foods in our diets and maintaining the foods that our ancestors passed down from generation to generation, then basically that food and that flavor and that nutrition and those medicinal and nutritional benefits from those foods are just lost to us. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Amanda Donaghy. Our supervising producer is Inga Stunzner. Executive producer is Justine Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. And that's all. Nabungimu next time. <laughs> <laughs>